what my sermon was going to be on bridge building, but I like that video so much it still holds the thought of what I want to say to you in the next few messages that I decided I would hold on to that as opposed to the bridge building theme. Take you back to way long time ago before I was even married. Uh, I have uh, several brother-in-laws, uh, three of the four brother-in-laws. We grew up within a, a half a mile of each other. Can you imagine that? Now, uh, Janice's family, that family lived out in the countryside in the sticks. We were city boys down in the east end of East Liverpool in a little neighborhood called Klondike. Strangely enough, uh, being grown up together, we all happened to marry into that same family. And so I'm going to tell you today about two things. One, why I'm preaching this, this thought of unity. Uh, that's what this first story is going to be about. But the second piece is going to be what I'm doing today. So why, why am I talking about my brother-in-law and stuff? When we were, before we were even married, him and his wife, I don't want to name them because I didn't ask for permission here. Um, and you know how that can be with families. But if he hears this, I'm sure he'll know I'm talking about him. Uh, we were visiting them, Janice and I were. And we decided that he had to go, I think it was to the BMV. I don't know why that's what's in my mind, but we had to go to the BMV. Now, he had just... Uh, had been married quite a while longer than what we have been. And they had at least two of their four children at that point. Um, and they were just little girls. The two oldest are girls, and I loved them. I'd love to go visit them and wrestle with them and play with them. But he and I went to go, it seems to me like, to BMV. And when we got into his car, he had, because he had started having children, they had bought a, a minivan, a brand-new minivan. And got into that minivan. It was probably a couple of years old at that point. And as soon as we got in, I heard the motor going like this. Brand new car. I'm like, wow. And I said, brother, there's something wrong here. You, you need to look into this. And oh, no, that's just how these sound. And I want to tell you, I've been around cars quite a bit. I've never heard one that's supposed to sound like that. And as we drove, and the faster he drove, the more it went. And when we finally pulled in at our destination, I said, you can't drive this anymore. There is something wrong. Lift your hood. And I went out and lifted the hood on the car, and I pulled out the dipstick. And, and no kidding, the oil was as black as that. And I, I looked at him, and I said, brother, when's the last time you changed your oil? And he said, you have to do that? It was sad. It was really a sad thing. But it, it, it's just maintenance, right? It's just maintenance, keeping up with things. And so I want you to know that the reason I'm preaching this set of messages is kind of like keeping your oil changed. This is maintenance for the body of Christ at Westbrook Park. So what am I preaching today? Are you in control or are you in sync? I'll get to the message. This message, uh, particularly the illustrations, has brought me great joy. You may not enjoy them at all, but I've I really enjoyed reflecting back on some moments in my life. When I was in high school, I bought my senior year a uh, 1972 Honda CB750, CB754. I, I kept that bike until the year 2004. It was actually a bike that was in pretty good demand. It was, they, they made a lot of 754s, but the year 72 was pretty special, and collectors wanted them. I did not know that when I bought it. 
but I would have fun on that bike, and this is why I'm a little bit happy today. I was reflecting on these things. I used to do this crazy stuff with that bike, and none of this is important to the message. I just want you to know, really, just how dumb I can be. I had dated a girl in high school who was taller than me, right? And so I had to buy cowboy boots back in the day when cowboy boots were a thing. They had a heel on them to lift me up. It really didn't help because she was still taller than me, but it was the best that I could do. Well, we didn't last long, so I had the boots. And the dumbest thing I could do was ride with those cowboy boots on the motorcycle, but of course, yes, I would do it. And, and what I did on the heel on those shoes was I hollered out the back of the heel here so there was a hole on each one. And I took spoons, okay, and I shoved the spoon into that hole, and then I bent it over so that the cup was on the bottom. And I'd get on that motorcycle at night, and I'd go down State Route 39 in the east end of East Liverpool about 40 miles an hour, and I'd put those boots down on the ground. You should have seen the sparks fly. I mean, man, I just had fun. It, it was great until that night when those lights started flashing behind me, <laughs> and they pulled me over and told me, you're not allowed to do that. I also rigged that bike up with a spark plug that was separate from the original unit. And I'd get down the road and I'd be gassing that thing up and I'd flip this little button. And man, you'd get a backfire that sounded like a gun went off. I mean, I just had a lot of fun. So why are you telling me that story today, Joel? The 1972 Honda CB754 had four carburetors on it. You had to have those four carburetors in sync. They had to be acting together rightly, because if they, if they weren't in sync, you could let off the gas, and that bike might surge. Now, if you're in a car, that's no big deal. But if you're in a motorcycle, and it begins to surge or do erratic things, it can really cause you problems. So I bought a device, actually I have two of them, I still have the tools, to synchronize those carburetors. One used mercury, uh, and the other one was just based upon the vacuum. But you would, once a year or so, sit down and hook, tap into each carburetor, and you would measure the vacuum and adjust it such so that every carburetor was working in sync with the other ones with regards to how much vacuum they were pulling in. Another way you could look at it, if you're familiar with cars, would be a timing light. Uh, you've got to have the spark come into your spark plug exactly when it's supposed to be there, your bike, will not run very good. And you can turn the gas, you can hit the brake, you can do everything you want to do to try to control a bike that's out of sync. And you're not going to do it until you get the bike in sync. That is much like the body of Christ, like the church, getting in sync. Now I'm going to read you something that I threw into this sermon this morning. So this isn't part of what I've thought about for a few months here. This is something I just threw in today. And I want you to look at it on the screen. It's Hebrews 13, 17. And it says in, from the message, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. That's me. Listen to their counsel. They're alert to the conditions in which you live and they work under the strict supervision of a God. Now that may be a stretch for you in the NIV or the King James or ESV. It says there, uh, they'll be held to a greater account. But you get the point. Contribute to the joy of their leadership and not its drudgery. Why? Yeah, I'm going to ask.
this question. Why would you want to make things harder for me? Why did I put that in there this morning? It's because that's why we're doing the maintenance. We're doing the maintenance for you and for me. So we can get in sync. So we can stay in sync. So we can function like a finely tuned engine the way God wants us to. So with that in mind, let's jump into these passages. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Paul is talking about church being in sync, being one. And what he's saying to this church is this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, and Paul and that church at Philippi felt that there was. If there's any comfort in being a Christian, and Paul and the church at Philippi felt that there was. If there's any participation in God's spirit, and Paul and the church at Philippi knew that that was so, and if there's any affection, if there's any sympathy, if you care about each other, and they felt that they did, then he says there's some obvious tuning up that needs to take place in the body of Christ. There's some obviously obvious matters that are incumbent upon the Christian to carry out because of the fact that you are a part of, part of the body of Christ. You would probably, most of you, would listen to a direct order from God pretty closely. If Jesus walked in the back today and said something to you, you would listen. That's the way the church at Philippi felt about what Paul was saying to them. If there's any comfort and encouragement provided by love, friends, listen to me. If there is any comfort and encouragement that we have in being Christians with each other, it just makes common sense that the body of Christ would want to be in sync with each other, that we would want to act in one way. Paul says, if there's any comfort from love, and in other words, their love not only for Christ, but for each other, would kind of remove any divisive spirit, any out-of-syncedness, if that could be a word, from their midst. Then he says, if there's any participation in the spirit, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit. That, that, that Holy Spirit, much as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one, would cause the church in union with Christ to be in union with each other. Being a part of the body of Christ means that you are not only a partner with Jesus, but a partner with those who also know Jesus. And finally, he says, if there's any affection and if there's any sympathy, simple compassion, simple tenderness towards other humans, particularly believers, should cause that insyncedness, or if you would, unity, to become normal and not only something that happens at special days, but something that is is expected at all times. 
that's what Paul is saying in that first verse. And so he says, if all that's true, complete my joy. Now, I got to tell you, Paul was not unjoyful. What he is saying to the church at Philippi is, if you read the book, you are my joy. But I'm not fulfilled in that joy yet until you have, look at it, the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He was happy to not only be associated with the church at Philippi, but he knew something that would make that joy complete. If he saw the body of believers at Philippi become like-minded, become one in purpose. Paul is not, and this is important to understand, you know, we in the church were guilty of this, and I've lost it probably in the last 10 years, we in the church are so guilty of this, and this, for some of you, this is going to mess with your head a little bit. But we misunderstand being a Christian with being a nice person. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't think that Christians need to be unnice. I don't think we need to be rude. But you cannot sacrifice truth at the expense of unity. And so Paul is trying to get across the point here that because we believe in Jesus, because we share this common belief in Christ, there should be a bond that exists between us that makes our joy complete. We're going to have our differences, but those differences should not be the altar upon which we sacrifice our relationship with other Christians. He's not, he, rather he is he's going to encourage the church at Philippi to be one in thought and one in action in what they do corporately. He, he says to them, have the same love. I told you, you know, about the, the girl in high school. I was thinking about, this is a bad day for you folks. You've got to put up with stories today. I was thinking about the girl in high school that was this tall. And um, she went off to college, and that's when I broke it off because I didn't think she was worth the gas I'd have to spend to go see her at college. But anyway, you know. You know, so there wasn't a mutual affection there. You get it? But in the body of Christ, Paul is saying, have the same love. You mutually love each other, if for no other reason, just the fact that we all love Jesus. And he says in B, well, I guess I'll stop for a minute and point out to you this. Don't misunderstand that love piece. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, go read Galatians 5, 22, 23. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, and as a Christian, the fruits of the Spirit are ours. And so therefore, you can't walk in and say, well, I'm going to love everybody, but not Bob. <laughs> you, you can't walk in and say, I, I can get along with everybody here except for whoever, right? Love is a fruit of the Spirit, so Paul is saying, and I see that lived out fully in you. So you mutually love each other with the love that comes from being a Christian. And when he says there be of one mind and in full accord, I need you to, to understand. I guess I'll just say it this way to you. On the day of Pentecost, we are told that the church was all together in one place. And when you hear that word together, it's not necessarily meaning just a geographical togetherness. That's the place, the one place. The togetherness is that they were in unity. They were together 
waiting for the Spirit of God to descend upon them, waiting for God to do what he was going to do next. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? Waiting for what God's going to do next. And then Paul says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Avoid selfish ambition and conceit, but place others ahead of yourself. This is where you're going to get a little bit nervous with me. I'm going to read to you Proverbs 13.10. Let me drink a cup of coffee. Not a cup, but let me get a drink. Proverbs 13.10 says this. By insolence comes nothing but strife. Think about that for a minute. What is insolence, Joel? Insolence, by definition, is disrespect of others. People who are insolent will say things like this. I don't have to listen to you. I'm not going to be accountable to you. Paul would write in another place these words. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom from God. It's earthly, it is unspiritual, and it's demonic. Because where selfishness and jealousy exist, there will be disorder. Now hear me, church. Paul has just said, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Why would he say that? The truth is because wherever you see those things, jealousy and, and selfish ambition, trying to put yourself ahead, you are going to see bodies fall in the wake of that. You are going to see that you cannot be in sync in one with God and with each other. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Paul had seen selfish ambition before. Remember what I told you at the start of this? He's sitting in a jail cell, right? We read Philippians 2, 1 to 5. But if you were to have read just the chapter ahead of this, you would find out this. While Paul's sitting in that jail cell waiting to see whether he lives or dies, there are people who claim to be Christians that are outside. And they are preaching Jesus. They're, they're proclaiming Christ. Do you know why they're doing it? They're hoping to aggravate the authorities to keep him in jail. There's something wrong there, right? There's something wrong. That's not in sync. That's not in unity. That is not in oneness. Paul said, actually, in the chapter ahead of where we read these words, he said, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Selfish ambition. They, they think that if they do it, it will advance themselves to the point that it will keep him in jail, that they can glory in their success at the expense of his life in that jail cell. Have you ever heard of narcissistic personality disorder? If you have, raise your hand. Okay? Let me read a little bit of that to you. Having an unreasonably high sense of self-importance, requiring constant excessive admiration, 
a feeling that they have privileges and deserve special treatment, expecting to be treated superior over others. They make achievements and talents bigger than they are. They're preoccupied with their fantasies about success, power, brilliance. And if you thought I was talking about me, the next word is beauty, so we know I'm out. Or the perfect mate. Let me just stop for a minute and talk to you for a minute. There are people who believe all those things I just said to you. And it will wreak havoc in the body of Christ. Years ago, many years ago, I was a still a seminary student at the time, and I had two little churches down on the Ohio River, and there was another pastor just up the road from one of them who went to the same seminary I was going to at the time. So he asked me if he could ride with me. And I would say to him, because I had to go into Pittsburgh, you know, my car leaves at 6.30 a.m. If you didn't leave at 6.30, when you got to the Fort Pitt tunnels, you were, you were dead. You weren't going to make it there on time. So I said, this car pulls out at 6.30. First time he came, he came like 6.45. I waited on him. We were late. I said to him when we got home, now tomorrow, you got to be here at 6.30. Because if you're not here at 6.30, we're going to be late again. Aren't you in time? Next day, he got about there about 6.45. We were late. Missed class. Da, 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 da. So that night, I said to him, I am leaving at 6.30 tomorrow. And the next day, I left at 6.30 without him. The next time I saw him, he chewed me out for leaving <laughs> in Wellsville instead of getting a ride. I later found out that when he would go to people's homes to visit, now you're going to think I'm out of my mind, but this is the gospel truth. When he would go to people's homes to visit, the first thing he would do would be go over to the refrigerator, open it up, and look in to see if he could get himself something to drink or to eat. Now, if I come to your house and go to your refrigerator, I hope you throw me out, right? I, I just... Do you get the point of what I'm saying to you? There are people in life that think everybody owes them. And that attitude is divisive. It's subversive. Paul says, rather, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Paul's saying we've got to consider each other. Not to forget ourselves. Not to say, well, we don't count but we need to place equal concern for each other. When one cries, we all cry. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one joys, we all rejoice. In fact, Paul would say in Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo each other in showing honor to each other. Imagine what the church would be like if that was how we lived. I'm going to place you not only on equal footing with me, but I'm going to consider you before I consider myself. What does that mean? That means if I want that maple donut out there, you will leave it for me. Right? That means if I want the Boston cream donut, I don't even know if that's out there, you leave it for me. Consider others as well as yourself. Let's just do the normal courteous thing. Paul says, let each of you look on your, not only on your own interests, but to the interests of others. When Christians begin to consider each other, the problems of division 
and disunity of fear disappear radically. And I want to stop for a minute before I go to that last verse and say this to you. We live in a time when division and disunity and being completely out of sync with everybody else is a hallmark of our society. In other words, I want my bottle, and I want it now. You ever seen a baby do that? What's a baby do? Wah, wah, wah. If I don't get my way, wah, wah, wah. If I don't get what I want, wah, wah, wah. That's what our whole society does right now. And it does it do anybody any good? It shouldn't be in the body of Christ. Let each of us look not only on the things of ourselves, but also on the things of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul will say, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now what, what he just said there is, is that the great example of what it means to be a Christian is not found in any one person such as the pastor. And I've seen plenty of pastors that thought they were it. It's not placed in any one person like the chair of the salt team. It's not placed in any one person like the guy that runs the technology. It's not placed in any one person, but rather it resides in the one that we're here to worship, and that's Jesus. So Paul says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You see, the love of Jesus that is the foundation, isn't it, for reconciliation. And if you're reconciled to Christ, you can be reconciled to those around you. Jesus made the path for that on the cross of Calvary. The love of Jesus is the path of discipleship. It's what he did, and it's what he set us out to do. The love of Jesus is actually the antidote to division, isn't it? It's what, it's what will bind us together as opposed to pull us apart. And the love of Jesus... I thought about this this week, Three Dog Night. There, I told you how old I am. I think they had a song, One is the Loneliest Number. When you're a Christian, that's not true. When you are a member of the body of Christ, one in Christ, I want you to imagine. That song we sang earlier, it's the picture of heaven, of the elders coming before the throne and throwing down their crowns and worshiping the king and all of creation that knows Jesus is gathered there to worship him. We are not alone and we are not individual. We are members in particular of the body of Christ and we will stand before that throne with those elders and with each other and we will worship the God that has not dispelled us, dispersed us, or divided us, but has brought us together with one purpose, to lift him up. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul will go on to say these things, and then I'll, I'll come back. He'll say this. What's that mind look like? He was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. Do you remember when Reagan got shot and Alexander Haig stepped up to the microphone and said, I'm in charge here? You remember that? If you're old enough. Jesus was equal with God, but he didn't grasp to hold on to that. I want you to think about that for a minute. The Son of God 
didn't hold on or grasp or hold on to authority and, and all that stuff. But rather, it says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant and was found being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even obedient to a cross. That's our model. You want to know how you find the church in sync? You want to know how you find the body of Christ in sync? Look at Jesus. The Father said you're going to the cross. He could have called down legions of angels. What did he do? He prayed and said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And he went to the cross, showing that he and his father were one. That little girl that I love so dearly, little Emma, she came to see us yesterday, and I buy her mint Oreo cream cookies, but I haven't been able to buy them since like mid-November because her and Grandma's always baking cookies at Christmas, Right? Well, last week she told her dad, she said, you got to call Grandpa where are the cookies. So, so I had the cookies ready when she came. And she also said she wanted sour cream and onion potato chips. She'll die by 13. It'll be my fault. But anyway, I got her the sour cream and onion potato chips. And she opened up them cookies when she got there. And she ate two of those little cookies and then she sealed them back up and Grandma, can you open the potato chips? Grandma opened the potato chips. They had some potato chips. And I came home from what I was doing. And I said, Emma, can I have some chips or some Oreos? She said, Grandpa, you bought them for me. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you could share them. She said, Grandpa, you bought them for me. They're mine. Now, when you are three or four it's going to take a while to develop that mind of Christ. Can I tell you something, church? When you're 60 and you've been serving Jesus since 1982, it ought to be well in place. The body line, if there is one today, the body of Christ will always have the mind of Christ. But the flip side of that is this. The church will always have the mind of each individual member. Say what? The body of Christ will always have the mind of Christ. There's a difference between the body of Christ and the church. Shouldn't be, but there is. The church is this building. It's where you come at 1015 on Sunday morning. The church, for many of us, is just this thing that we do. And therefore, we are allowed to have our preferences and our desires and we're allowed to spell them out to everybody as loud or as softly as we want. So everybody can know when we're happy or when we're not. And if you think I'm talking about you today, I'm usually the first one you go to today. That's the church. But the body of Christ, oh, hold on. The body of Christ is something to aspire to. The body of Christ is to be like Jesus. It's to be so in sync with him that we can be in sync with each other. Come to churches before including this one. And, and staff members sometimes hold it out as a badge. We live in silos. I've heard that so many times in 40 years. We live in silos. 
you got the music department, you got the education department, you got this department. We live in silos. And everybody thinks what they do is more important than anyone else. Can I tell you something today, church? Elevate Life is just as important as Food Pantry. And Food Pantry is just as important as Share Canton. And Share Canton is just as important as a night to shine. And you are just as important as me. And we can be the body of Christ. When we get that settled, we'll have taken care of the major. Be nothing worse than to get out there to the month of June and hear our motor doing this, right? You can say, Joel, you're out of your mind. No, I'm not. I've done this too long now. I was talking to one of my kids. I'll, I'll be quiet here in a minute. Talking to one of my kids the other day. And she said to me, you know, you Methodists are your own special people. She was raised in a Methodist church. <laughs> she said, you Methodists are your own special people. I said, what's that? She said, you argue all the time. And I said, you know what, young lady? That is true of every church on the face of planet Earth. But it is never true for the body of Christ. The body of Christ loves Jesus enough put others before itself or at least on equal footing with itself and that's when we get the carburetors in sync this is your maintenance let me spell it out a little bit clearer and then we'll sing how can we be the body of Christ well Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 you're the body of Christ and members in particular and what that means church is that I'm the preacher, you may be the food pantry director, or you may be the chair of some committee, or you may be the leader of this or the leader of that, or you may have a Bible study, but we are the body of Christ with individual members. I've been fighting for a year now, my back, my neck, my shoulder, and just a few days before Christmas, I went in, and they gave me a shot in my hip. My doctor says, I'm going to tell your wife and kids what a sissy you are. It, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I told him, I said, they already know it. But you know what? I can go up downstairs now. They gave me a shot. Can I tell you something? We're the body of Christ. And when the hand is hurting, the shoulder should hurt too. When the knee aches, the neck might hurt. And if the foot's missing, we know it, don't we? We are the body of Christ and members in particular. You aren't like me, I'm not like you, but praise Jesus. We are all made in his image. And he loves us equally. And because he loves each of us the same and died upon the cross for us, we know that our worth is the greatest worth there could be. It doesn't matter what I think of you or you think of me. What matters is what God thinks of us. And he thought enough of us to die on a cross for. And if he has called us out from the world into the body of Christ, it seems to me that if we're going to have the mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, we will sacrifice for each other as well. And that's when the motor, that's when the engine purrs like a chicken. If you don't know Jesus and you don't know the love he has for you, 
That is the reason he came. He wants you to know that you are loved. That is the reason he died, so that your sins could be forgiven. He bore your sins upon the cross of Calvary, and he did that not so you could be distant from him, but rather you could be brought into him. He loves you so much that he wants you to be there casting down your crowns and shouting out your glory to him on that day. He wants you to be with him. Church, that's the mind of Christ, and that's the mind we need so that we can be in particular members, but a single unified body in serving this community and helping to bring about the kingdom of God in Canton as it is in Hamilton. Let's sing together.